Welcome to this week's edition of Flashback Friday, your opportunity to get some good review by listening to episodes from the past that Jason has handpicked to help you today in the present and propel you into the future. Enjoy. This show is produced by the Hartman Media Company. For more information and links to all our great podcasts, visit HartmanMedia.com. Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show, episode 892. This is your host, Jason Hartman. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been absolutely crazy this Las Vegas shooting, this terrible, disgusting tragedy has has just it's turned my life upside down in the past few days, but I have absolutely nothing to complain about compared to the victims and the people who witnessed it closely. I, I did witness the event. We published an extra episode, 891, yesterday on an off day, Tuesday, where we don't normally publish episodes that uh, told of my firsthand eyewitness account of the shooting and then uh, one of my friends who was in lockdown at the Mandalay Bay Hotel. I, I was, of course, at the top of the Mandalay Bay Hotel, 25 stories above the shooter, and recounted that story yesterday. But it, it's just just awful. I mean, I, I can't believe this. And I just can't wait to learn about this psychopath's motivation. Uh, it's just unbelievable. It really is. I, I know we're all still in shock. The whole world's in shock about this, uh, or at least all peace-loving, decent people are. Uh, yeah, as you know, ISIS claimed responsibility right away, and uh, you know who knows what's true anymore. The media, partial, some of the media denies that. Some of the media is just not talking about it. I, I don't know. No, nobody really knows yet, but um, it's absolutely a crazy thing. Today, I was interviewed on Inside Edition, or was it Extra? I can't remember which one. I've done a couple media interviews. I know it was on TV in San Diego. They interviewed me via Skype yesterday. You know, you, you get a video of that and, and publish it, and it's it's like, wow, the whole whole world. I've given a copy of it to the FBI. They asked for it. I mean, the FBI actually messaged me on Facebook. <laughs> it's crazy. I never thought that would happen. I never thought I'd witness such a terrible tragedy like that. But at least I did not witness it close up. I was up high. I saw the concert below. You know, you, you heard the whole story yesterday if you listened to that episode where we just talked about that. So let's go back to real estate investing and, and talk about that. You know, this is all weighs heavy on everybody's mind uh, that I will never forget that night. It changed me forever. I'm sure I, I don't even know how yet, but uh, it's, um, it's unbelievable. It really is. It's, it's just tragic. Moving on. We have got a client case study today that was of course recorded before the shooting and then basically the terrorist attack that happened. And that is our client Clay Slocum. So uh, I so appreciate him coming on the show. And I appreciate all of you clients coming on the show to talk about your story and, uh, and definitely your unique insights about real estate investing. You know, Clay will talk about some things that have not occurred to me. I've not heard them before. Really wonderful original thoughts about how to evaluate one's investments, consider one's investments, just really great stuff. So we love it when clients come on the show. If you would like to be on the show, we'd love to have you. 
If you have something to contribute, just reach out uh, through the jasonhartman.com website, or if you're working with one of our wonderful investment counselors, reach out to them, and they'll get you connected, and and we'll, we'll have you on the show to share your story and your real estate investing goals, or just your questions. You know, if you just have questions for me, I, I'd be happy to answer them on air as well. And by the way, we've got a whole bunch more questions from the last three contest for the Amazon Echoes and and the uh, Apple AirPods uh, that we gave away. And you really had some very thoughtful questions and comments. So we will get to those over the course of uh, the next several episodes. You know, we just got a lot to cover. We've got so many great episodes coming up for you uh, that I've been recording episodes just like crazy the past few weeks. I interviewed Dan Burris today, a really interesting futurist who's uh, developed basically the the software that Zillow uses kind of underlying their system. He licensed that and he developed several great real estate apps and is just a futurist in general. We're talking to about having him come to meet the masters in La Jolla, which by the way, we have uh, 96 tickets sold so far for that event, the most ever this early. So thank you to all of those of you who purchase tickets. And if you haven't purchased your tickets, get in on the early bird pricing. You know, the price does escalate as we get closer to the event and is and not just based on time, but also based on ticket sales. So it's like an airline, folks. The sooner you buy your tickets, the better. Okay, so get your tickets at jasonhartman.com. Uh, click on the events section and do that. So we'll get to a lot of those questions. We've got a really interesting interview coming up next week for you, where we interview a new lender in our network who has some really interesting financing programs. If you're already working with one of our investment counselors, of course, they can connect you with her. But I did a really insightful interview with her, and uh, we should be publishing that one next week. We've just got a whole bunch of interviews. I can't even remember all of them. It's like a blur, all of the, the interviews I've been recording. We've had some great guests recently. So stay tuned for that. I don't mean to talk to you all about the future and what's to come, because today we have a a great show with with our our client, uh, Clay, on a case study as well. But do get your tickets for the Meet the Masters event. We look forward to seeing you there. Also, I also want to give a shout out to the new property tracker system. If you're, if you haven't been to realestatetools.com lately and checked out the, the apps for iPads and iPhones and the web-based app uh, property tracker that has been totally upgraded. Take a look at that. Really some great changes that Fernando and, and Zach and, and Michelle and, and that whole team uh, did to work on uh, property tracker and really upgrade it and take it to the next level. I think you'll love it. So check that out as well. And you can also uh, find that at the front page of jasonhartman.com. But without further ado, let's get to our client case study with Clay Slocum. Here Here we go. It's my pleasure to welcome another client to the show. We always love client case studies. We get great feedback on them. And if you're interested in coming on the show, just reach out to your investment counselor and we would love to hear from you and possibly feature you on the podcast. So uh, again, today we're going to do another client case study with our client, Clay Slocum. Clay, welcome. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. And yourself? Good, good. It's good to have you on. You are a 32-year-old millennial, and uh, we're going to talk about some millennial stuff when it relates to, as it relates to real estate investing. And Clay, where are you located? I am in Northern California. Okay, great. The uh, where, where, like more specifically than that? Uh, up in the Chico, California area. Okay, fantastic. So you you are not in the Socialist Republic of San Francisco, uh, <laughs> and and you are not paying eight thousand dollars per month to rent a closet either. So <laughs> good for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think these high price markets are just crazy. I got a I got a a message from one of our other uh, clients today who lives in Los Angeles and is a wealthy, wealthy client, by the way, a celebrity client uh, whose name I will not mention. But he, he and his wife have been buying properties from us. And he, he was just commenting on how absolutely nuts the Los Angeles market is. I mean, the, these markets are just 
gosh, I mean, they are bubbles. I don't know when they'll burst, but they are bubbles uh, for sure. I mean, it's just it's just absolutely crazy. Clay, you want to talk about a bunch of things today. One is the power of compounding for millennials. I think that's super important. It's a great message for people at any age to hear. And then, uh, you know, we'll talk about some other stuff, too. So go ahead and dive in. Where do you want to start? Oh, well, I, I guess I'd, I'd really like to start with uh, talking about compound interest. Um, you know, being being a millennial and, and potentially having, you know, the, the years ahead to, to work the magic um, on these investments, on the investment properties, uh, that number can, can do some real magic for you. And so um, it, it was something that I myself actually kind of uh, had to play around with and in, in order to discover the true power. And uh, I've been honestly trying to explain it to my friends um, ever since. But um, it, it definitely has this power to, to make your growth um, just exponentially fly up uh, at, at a certain point. Yeah, no question about it. And, you know, I, I know you mentioned you had some spreadsheets and things like that. So feel free to share any numbers or figures you want with us. But I will tell you, Clay, you are absolutely right. Einstein called compound interest the eighth wonder of the world. And it is truly amazing how, you know, as I always say, most people in life are hurt by inflation. They're hurt by government spending. They're hurt by time. And as real estate investors, when we do it right, all these things are to our benefit. You know, we watch the news and we look at, you know, we hear a story about government waste and, uh, you know, government spending. And, you know, that's actually beneficial to us as real estate investors. Uh, you know, time passing by. Most people would rather not have time pass by. They'd, you know, rather go back to the good old days. And, and as, as, as investors, we put all these things, father time, uh, mother nature, even when, when it comes to natural disasters, this is all actually beneficial to us, oddly. So, uh, yeah, that's that's great. Compound interest, a very, very powerful thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, looking at some of the numbers that I ran, um, you know, I'm looking, uh, I just ran this a, a few minutes ago, so I can talk to it. But uh, if you were to put down, if you were to get $100,000, um, you know, in, invested into, into your properties and say you were able to achieve something like a 32% ROI, um, you know, in, in about, uh, 18 years, that gets you all the way up to 14 million, which is, is, is amazing. It's great. Yeah. But let's be a lot more conservative than that. Now, many income properties with all things considered, all of the different elements of return on investment of ROI can certainly produce 32% annually. But like I always say, even if it's only half as good, right? <laughs> you know, it's still <laughs> yeah. pretty amazing. Uh, it really is. And, and with leverage, you can vastly outperform inflation. Uh, so yeah, it's true, truly amazing. Isn't it powerful tool? Huh? I, I, I went back and checked my own, you know, spreadsheets and everything and, and ran the numbers myself after listening to one of your podcasts. It was, um, I forget the gentleman's name, but he's, uh, the submarine, um, oh, captain or Gary Pinkerton, Pinkerton. one of our clients. Oh and, yeah. Uh, yeah. And venture I think he was members, talking yeah. about the, the, the leverage factor of the appreciation and just how that, that can dominate, especially if you can find yourself in a, in a consistently appreciating area or, you know, heck being in one of the, one of the hybrid markets and like Phoenix perhaps, or, and, and ride it up even higher that, that could really drive, drive some things. But no, I, I do completely agree with you that the, it's pretty safe to just stay with the, you know, your cash on cash and your, and your principal pay down. Those are, those are good numbers in and of, uh, in and of themselves. Yeah, they definitely are. I mean, you know, when you can get 10 or 12% cash on cash, and you know, it used to be better than that. But and, and, and it will those numbers will improve over the years as we see rents go up. But of course, rents always lag appreciation. We always say don't don't count on the appreciation. It's just the icing on the cake. But boy, it, it sure is a nice treat when you get it. And sometimes you get it in, in spades. I mean, it's just phenomenal. <laughs> it really is. really is. So good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. I pulled up historical data on that, actually. I, I went back to um, Fannie, I think Fannie Mae's website had had it printed. But I went back since, um, I think they had it recorded up to the last uh, World War II, maybe even. 
and um, and they just had by decade, uh, you know, uh, home values. And it, I, I plotted it all out. Um, oh, just for the audience, I, I'm an engineer and uh, I'm also a licensed real estate agent. So I, I love the numbers. I'm in the numbers all the time. But regardless, when what kind I, of engineer are you? I am. I'm actually a pavement engineer, which is in the civil engineering realm. Um, uh-huh. okay. formerly a geotechnical yeah. engineer, which is why I think Oliver mm-hmm. and I get along so well. He's a former geologist. Sometimes we, uh, <laughs> we nerd out on that topic. Right. But. And, 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 and Oliver is your investment counselor with our company. So, yeah, uh, that's, that's good. We, we have clay. We have so many engineer clients. It just boggles my mind how, how many of our clients are engineers. And I, I always used to say like when I was in traditional real estate for many years before I got into the investment only side of the business, the most difficult clients to work with were engineers because <laughs> they were just, they were, it was very hard for them to make a decision. And, uh, and, but now I love engineers, you know, they're, they're, they're our, our best clients because our approach is so analytical. Uh, our approach to investing is, is really, you know, it's, it's just very nice to be able to deal with things on a very sort of rational analytical basis but i tell you the one thing about this is that when you invest in single family homes the most historically proven asset class in the entire world rather than apartment buildings or uh mobile home parks or office buildings or retail centers or any of the other types of real estate outside of the single family home realm you're dealing with people that see Here's the power, okay? You can buy a property with an analytical mind. You buy a single-family home with an analytical mind. You buy it like an investor based on my 10 commandments of successful investing and all the other stuff we teach. But then when you sell it someday, you can sell it to a non-analytical person, an emotional person, who uh, who will pay you a premium for emotions, okay? <laughs> you know, I call it the emotionality premium, and uh, and uh, that's, that's just a great thing, you know? When you sell, you can sell to either an investor or a regular traditional home buyer. And when you buy, you buy like an investor. So it's great. All the other types of real estate, all the other classes, you buy it, hopefully, as an investor mind, and you sell it to an investor mind. So you don't get any emotional premium. You, do you know what I mean by that? Does that make sense? Oh, you know, I just renewed my license, and so I, I, I completely agree. That's why real estate agents use the comparable sales approach, whereas, you know, with uh, multiplexes and, and everything else like that, they like cap rates and they like uh, the, the income approach or, or the cost approach. Um, I, yeah, but with comps, that, you know, in order to use comparable properties, that that's how you can account for the human element there. I think it really is amazing. Okay, go ahead, uh, tell us more about your your analysis and the other stuff you wanted to talk about. Oh yeah, so I mean, I did track uh, the 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 median house price across the United States, and it definitely is uh, it, it's asymptotically approaching. Um, it's actually hovering around five percent. Uh, I think it went four, six, four, four, six, five, something like that um, over, over the period. Uh, but uh, I, I think that's a pretty good estimate um, or at least I'd like to think that that's going to be a good estimate to go with. And, you know, if you're, if you're getting anywhere so close that's to a that, national... that's Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, that's national. Okay. So that's a national average. And what time period? I know you said Fannie Mae went back even to like World War II, I think you said, but like what what time period are you talking about? Um, to, uh, this is going to explain how nerdy I am. I, I actually did it by a 30-year period, 20-year period, 10-year period, and, and then a running um, aggregate period. And they, they all started. Okay, so tell me where you started and stopped, though. Stop and start, because I just saw this today. One of my clients, uh, our clients, tagged me on Facebook, and someone else had posted this, that they had just read an article that if you wait, uh, the cost of waiting to buy a home in Nashville, Tennessee, okay, and Nashville's not one of our markets, it's always been a little too expensive, so we've never uh, been able to recommend Nashville, unfortunately, but we do a lot in Memphis, and I think, Clay, you own in Memphis as well, um, and uh if you wait a year in Nashville, it'll cost you $32,000. 
That's that's what the article said. So interesting. It's a, a $32,000 per year cost for not making a decision. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty interesting. If you're in Los Angeles, it's even more. So that's why it really matters. See, a lot of those surveys, like if you're looking at Fannie Mae, for example, the last data that they're posting might be from a couple of years ago. I don't know. That's why I'm curious as to when you started and stopped, because it makes a pretty big difference if you include the last few years. Right. Yes. Yes. No, it, it does. Uh, I don't know exactly when they stopped. It was it was with stored data. And so I, I would have to go back and check that. But I, I did like that. It was kind of it, 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 the curve was asymptotically approaching about five percent. Um but uh, you know, when when you put that in, um, boy, I think going back, what I was uh, what I was getting at is if you know if you, if you put in the hundred thousand dollars to start, and if you can, you know, if you do get that thirty two percent return, you know, the power of compound interest is, is so so big. And I think I said at eighteen years, you'd be about fourteen million dollars. But um, all it takes is two more periods for you to get back up uh, to about twenty four million dollars. And so two periods is $10 million. And uh, that's, that's, the, that's the numbers I like to tell my, my friends when I'm trying to explain what I'm doing and, and also see if they have interest because, you know, it's easy for them to say, well, I'll see how it goes for you. And, you know, oh, maybe, maybe after, you know, maybe we can do it after we buy another car or we remodel this part of the house and, I just kind of tell them, I'm like, you know, it, it's, it pays to, to, to do it now. Um, it's, it's not the, it's not turning the $20,000 down payment into, you know, into 22 or $23,000. It's, uh, you know, on a 20% return, it's the turning a million dollars into $1.2 million or turning $10 million into $12 million. Okay. Well, so when you said $10 million per period, how long's a period? What do you mean by that? Oh, uh, a year. If you get a 32% uh, over a single year and turn, um, so if you take 14 million and then multiply it by, you know, 132%, then, and then you essentially do that twice. So two years in a row, you can get that 32%. Right. Then, yeah, you get that. Okay. But, but what did you, what did you start with to get to 14 million and how long did you wait? What was the compounding period to get to that? And oh. what was the starting amount? Oh, gotcha. So a hundred, because we're, we're talking, day play, one. We're, we're, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a hundred thousand dollars invested or a hundred thousand dollar property because we're throwing around some big numbers here and i want to just make sure we're clear you know compound the reason einstein said compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world is because when it compounds you keep working with a bigger tool with a bigger war chest and that war chest gets so big that you know once you get to the 14 million dollar number increasing that by 10 million dollars isn't I mean it's hard and it takes time, but it's not incredibly difficult uh, like it might sound. I mean I know we're throwing some huge numbers around, so I almost want to rein that in, and I want to I want to and I know you didn't do the math for this, but I want to really look at I want to say to the listeners, look, even if you got twelve percent annually or ten percent annually, I mean it's truly amazing. It's phenomenal what you can do in a relatively short time. I mean, I just cannot believe how quickly my life has passed. And the older any of you get, you you know, if you're 30, 40, 50 years old, 60 years old and older, you know, you just know you, it's like you remember 20 years ago, like it was yesterday. I mean, every year passes so much faster, you know, from our perception of it does. And it's just amazing. Like there's an old saying, everybody overestimates what they can do in a year and they underestimate what they can do in five years. You know, and that's so true because the compounding, you know, in a year, you don't get much compounding. You can't go very far. But in three years and four years and five years you're starting to see some real compounding going on uh, if you just stay the course. So, so go ahead with your thoughts on that, Clay. I interrupted you. Oh yeah, no, um, that was a, a $100,000 is your initial investment. That's not a $100,000 property. Uh, that's a hundred thousand, which might be four properties, you know? Um, okay. So uh, $25,000 each, you know, got it. 
And, um, but if you were to take that out, that's, you know, 18 years get you to 14 million, which, uh, you know, maybe it's a lot easier to, to think about it as far as just, you know, taking, taking that a hundred thousand dollars and, you know, a 20% return on that gets you $120,000. That's 20,000, you know, $20,000 is, is a pretty good, pretty good money, especially to be making passively of sorts. No question about it. And, and like the iceberg, a lot of this return on investment sits under the water and you don't notice it. You can't really see it until later, you know, you wait a few years and then you do my refi till you die plan or you sell the properties and you can 1031 exchange them. But if you want to take the money out, you can do uh, a new vehicle that I'm looking at. And I'll have a guest on to talk about this in the future called a deferred sales trust, deferred sales trust, a vehicle I've been looking at. If you if you want to essentially cash out, OK, and, and maybe you don't want to buy another property now. I don't think that's the best plan, but it's a way you can defer gains and extract the wealth from your real estate portfolio slowly and just pay taxes in little dribs and drabs uh, so it won't be such a hard hit. So there's there's a lot of structure opportunities available and things like that. So, yeah, it's it's Clay. Isn't it amazing? You know, when you really look at these, the numbers and the compounding effect, it's just incredible, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it, for, definitely. And that's why I really am trying to you know, show all my friends. I, 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 I have a friend who, who drives a forklift and I, I was asking him, you know, how long do you think it would take you to save up the down payment? And he said, you know, I could probably do that in, in about 18 months. And so, you know, I, I actually ran through with them. I said, okay, if you can take $25,000 and, uh, and, and put that into a house and then say you get, let's, let's just assume conservatively about 24%. And, and I just walked him through every single year, multiplying it by, you know, 1.2, which is a 20% increase. And his eyes kept getting wider and wider. And uh, he, he kind of walked away. And at one point he looked at me because he, he's a high school friend of mine. And, and he looked at me and he said, why didn't they teach us this in school? And uh, we, we just kind of laughed. <laughs> well, because they, they don't want you to know this. Yeah, they don't want you to know this stuff. You know, it's uh, it's an amazing thing. And so you just keep multiplying it by 1.2. And then you take that number and multiply that times 1.2. And you keep doing that over and over again. And it is truly amazing. You know, we've all heard the thing about how you can take a penny and double it every day for 30 days. And you have, I think, like $14 million at the end of the month, you know, it's <laughs> shocking. <laughs> you know, it really is. It really is shocking. And I just want everybody to be careful. If you go, you know, Google a compounding calculator or actually don't Google it because Google is evil. Bing it. You, bing it. You can bing it. Yeah. You heard me say that before. You can bing it, but you can do even better than binging it. You can duck, duck, go it. I think everybody should switch their search engine to DuckDuckGo that does not keep any logs on your searches. Uh, so that's the better thing. DuckDuckGo. It's a search engine. And it's pretty good. I've been using it lately, and I like it. It's good. Huh. You're yeah. going to have to check that good, out. Re- really, really produces some good results. And so you can use that. Okay. Uh, compounding is the eighth wonder of the world. We talked about that. Tell us about your properties. So how many properties do you have now, Clay? Um, I now have, uh, I have, uh, three and then I also have, uh, well, actually, well, I guess four. Um, so I have three active ones and then I, I also pulled off one of the, uh, um, uh, properties, you know, buying it through my self-directed 401k. Um, so that was, that was a lot of paperwork. I, I will, I will admit a lot of paperwork, uh, but I was tickled when I, when I got it to come through and, um, so I have that and then, well, I guess my, and then my, uh, through my wife's 401k, we also have one locally here in California. Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay, good. So, uh, congratulations on that. Keep up the good work. What else should we talk about? You want to talk about your experience with any of those properties or anything? Or, uh, yeah. Yeah, do you want to talk about working with our investment counselor or, uh, or, or some of the other questions that we discussed before we started? Definitely. Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, to, to, to give some other people who might be on the fence out there, it, it took me a while to, 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 to buy into the concept of buying out of state. And that's really one of the things that I, I really attribute to to you guys, you know, you 
all the podcasts and then working with Oliver um, extensively in the beginning, just kind of working through that and how the numbers worked and the, the comfort level of it. But, um, you know, one of the things that I think Oliver did the best for me is um, after talking extensively with him, I think he might've paired me up with, uh, you know, like almost like a match.com. Like he paired me up with the perfect local market specialist to fit my, my personality and and my, my investment philosophy. And so I I kind of attribute it to him, but uh, I'm very, very happy with the way the transactions go and, and uh, the way the interactions kind of all fluidly occur with, you know, with me and Oliver and the local market specialist and, and just, you know, it, um, it really has been a a pretty seamless process, um, which I I didn't necessarily anticipate, but uh, I'm thrilled that it has worked out that way. So um, yeah, glad to hear it. That's excellent. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Okay. So. Good. Now you you wanted to talk about also um, some uh, legal questions, and you have a bunch of things here that you sent me on my appointment request. What else? Just take it wherever you want. Oh, I have lots of questions. Um, I think uh, let me let me finish up on on the Memphis market. I, I did do an analysis that uh, that Oliver was was thinking it would be beneficial for some people to have because um, I, I, I ended up running the numbers. I was a little bit concerned. I mean, uh, out here in the Socialist Republic of California, I see a bubble already occurring again. I, and, um, you know, I, I see what's real, what is happening in the Bay Area. There's another bubble going on. So I'm, I'm in fear that maybe there's a correction coming. But I had to go back and I, I you know, it's not perfect data, but Zillow does um, – does uh, have a, a a list of essentially the median housing price and um, they have it published for Memphis. And so I went back into that and I was able to kind of plot the entire, uh, you know, January, 2008, all the way through their anticipated January, 2018 uh, median housing prices. And um, so I actually plotted, you know, the, the depreciation that occurred during the, during the bubble, you know, during the burst of the bubble and then kind of the tumultuousness that occurred for the next few years, followed by the rise that we've seen in the last couple few years. And, um, and then I put all those, you know, different depreciation and appreciation numbers into, you know, my performa. And I, I did an analysis. I needed to see what, what was going to make sense because the thing I had to get over was not being the, you know, analysis of paralysis, you know, paralysis of analysis. Maybe I should hold my money in, you know, in, in a, in a bank account until the bubble burst guy, you know? Yeah. Good luck with that idea. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen many people try it over the decades. And this is where I even agree with the stock market people. I hate to say, but market timing does not work. Okay. (laughs) You know, you can, you can sort of nip at it around the edges. I'll admit that, that, you know, of course you want to be smart. And of course there are some things to consider when it comes to market timing, but the pure market timers, they just never end up as, as good as the people who just get their money in the market and get it working for them. Mm -hmm. And that's what actually penciled out. I was, I was a little bit uh, surprised to find this, but essentially I, I, I modeled four scenarios. One of them was the, you know, the investor who wasn't, wasn't decisive. They wanted to keep their money in the bank and they wrote out the whole, you know, downturn and then the tumultuousness and invested at the exact right moment, you know, at the low in, in which occurred in January, 2016. So I modeled what that, you know, what, what that would look like followed by. Wait, 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 Jan- January two 2016 is not the low. I mean, no, you know, but if you look at the, if you actually look at the Memphis market, there was uh, uh, January 2016 was lower than January 2015, um, and so there was some volatility for some reason in in the market right there. And so, you know, you know what I'd attribute that to? I bet it was the hedge funds and the private equity groups that were bidding up the market. So that's a small anomaly, um, but I think to do that right, you'd really have to go back to like 2009, 2010. Um, you know, to, to look at a study like that, but, but go ahead, tell us what you did. Yeah. No, um, no, there was definitely depreciation for, uh, for the first two, three years. 
Um, and then it was kind of flat, a little gain, and then 2016 was, was the low again. But essentially the way that it penciled out is um, if you were to invest, you know, let's take a $100,000 investment again. If you were to take $100,000 and get a single year's return based on, you know, some of the performance, um, and then go through the exact downturn that occurred uh, based on that median housing price, um, by the time that, you know, that, that person that stashed their cash in the bank, uh, you know, making pretty much nothing, um, got their money involved um, after the volatility in, in 2016-ish, um, you know, everything had already come back up and the, the person that had gotten just a single, years of, single year of, uh, of performance pulled ahead. And so that was the, one of the things that really helped me feel like, you know, if I can't time this and, uh, you know, if I, if I don't want to look at my crystal ball, then, Hey, you know what, this person not only did pretty well, but they, you know, there's a chance that they came out ahead of the person who was kind of waiting for the dust to settle. Yeah. So there's, so Clay, there's that old saying, we've all heard it, you know, keep your powder dry, right? We've all mm -hmm. heard that saying. And there's some validity to that in some areas of life. But the, the problem of market timing is that the human mind has this bias uh, that it does not see the cost of waiting. Nobody really interprets that opportunity cost of waiting very well. Our minds just don't do that. But it does interpret the cost of losing. So say, for example, you invest and the prices go down. Now, of course, since we're all smart investors listening to this, um, or if you're new, you're not smart yet, but you'll be smart soon. I, I promise. <laughs> and, you know, we understand that income property is a multidimensional asset class. So, you know, I talk about the three dimensions of real estate. There's really many more than that. But, you know, even if the prices go down, uh, you know, we still have the return on investment uh, from cash flow, from cash on cash return. So our bias just looks at prices. Number one, that's the way most people think. They think, well, you know, I bought this house in Los Angeles and I paid $500,000 for it and the market tanked and it went down to 350 or $400,000, right? And I lost a hundred grand or 150 grand. And that's what everybody sees. But uh, or they bought the property in Memphis and the market went down and it went from 120,000 to 100,000. So I lost 20%. But they never see the amount of money they made from the cash flow and from the tax benefits and the other benefits. And they, they, they don't see that, that they lost that money by waiting. You know, it's just funny how our minds work. We've got to overcome our own mind a lot of time, don't we? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, that, that bias is there. I mean, even if you're an engineer, you have the same brain that all the rest of us have. And the way you overcome it is by doing what you did and really doing a study and really looking at the numbers and really evaluating opportunity cost. Opportunity cost is a cost that most people don't see, they don't evaluate properly, and um, it's just an oddity of the way our brains work. I'm not sure why, but I'm sure we just had to have that. It's built in from evolution, and um, it's there for some reason, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and then to to carry on, the the other two uh, two scenarios I ran is the the investor that invests the money and then gets two straight years of, you know, of returns based on the performa and then goes through the same, you know, median house uh, fall that we, we saw in 2008-9. And that person never went below their original price. Um, and so, you know, if you think it's going to happen in a year or two years or you don't know, um, that, was, that was really powerful to, to see that if, you know, unless you can do it to the day, um, it, it makes sense to get it in there and, and let it start compounding and, and getting the cash on cash. Um, but, uh, you, you'll, you'll appreciate this, this last scenario I ran. And that was, um, I, I pulled up S and P 500 numbers, uh, from the downturn and, um, and then I used, uh, historic averages and, and I, I ran the same scenario and I took it out about 20 years and, uh, I'll just talk in, in terms of percentages here, but, um, 
yeah, it was about five uh, percent. It was only one twentieth of what the investment properties ended up yielding in, in a 20-year period. Wow, isn't that amazing? One twentieth. And this is why we don't, none of us ever know anybody who got rich in the stock market, <laughs> you know, unless unless they're an insider, right? That's the only ones who ever get rich in the stock market. But um, we all know lots of people that got rich in real estate. Isn't Isn't that just... You know, the reason why, because the stocks don't have the multidimensional characteristics that the income property does. And uh, so that's a that's a very important thing to consider. It certainly is. Okay, hey, Clay, we got to wrap it up. But is there anything else quick that we can talk about before we uh, say goodbye? Yeah, I mean, if uh, if you don't mind, uh, I'm going to open up two cans of worms and you can answer them however you want or or choose to hold them off. But, um, you know, I guess the I I have a feeling I know one of those cans of worms that takes like three hours to answer, but go for it. <laughs> uh, just just the whole concept of when to, to think about putting properties into an LLC and kind of detaching them from your own personal assets and, and whatnot. And then the second one is uh, just whether there is a place or the best place to, to go to try to understand, you know, the, in an easy fashion, the, the tax aspect of uh, investment properties. And so I'll leave it to, to you to, take us out. <laughs> I'll take those two and answer them as quickly as I can. So first of all, the question of entity structuring and asset protection is extremely complicated. I've had Garrett Sutton on the show several times. He's a good attorney in that in that field. I've talked about it several times. I'm not a lawyer, but I want to say this one thing that so few people understand. And that is the concept of the internal threat versus the external threat. When it comes to asset protection, most people, again, there's some, for some reason, they have this bias and it really makes them dumb and blind or, you know, uh, and, and here, here it is. The bias is that they think all about the internal threat, meaning the threat that exists inside of the asset. So with income property investing, that's usually the tenant. Okay. Now, in all these years, I've never been sued by a tenant. Okay. So, I mean, and I've had hundreds of tenants. Okay. But, and, you know, just never had any legal problems with tenants. Okay. I've had legal problems in business for sure. You know, especially uh, with what I say on the podcast. Some people get bothered by what I say when I, when I out their crooked behavior. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, uh, you know, that's one of the things we have to deal with. Right. So that is an external threat. So let's take me as an example. This is a good, I'll just use myself as the example to explain this. So, I've got all these rental properties and all these tenants, right? And if one of them slips and falls and, you know, and sues me because they say it's my fault that they had the slip and fall, the famous thing you always hear about, right? That I've never, ever, with thousands of investor clients, heard of that happening, that lawsuit. I've never heard of it. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. I've just never heard of it, okay? So none of our clients have ever told me, oh, a tenant slipped and fell on their property and sued them. In fact, I don't think any of my clients have ever even told me a tenant has ever sued them. And I know that I haven't been sued by a tenant. You know, I bought my first property at age 20. And in all these years, you know, just never happened, right? Okay, so that's one thing. That's an internal threat. And that threat is very easy to insure around, to just have good insurance and make sure you renew your insurance policy on time so it doesn't lapse, okay? That's pretty easy to insure around, okay? Now, the external threat is, and let's use me as the example. So here I'm doing this podcast and I stumble on this, you know, property manager who's ripping me off and ripping my clients off in Kansas City. I talk about it on the show. He sues me. That is an external threat, or at least it's external to the properties I own, right? So if that guy was able to sue me and win and get a judgment against me, then he could go looking for assets that I have in my personal name, right? Or in states, even in entities in states that aren't 
you know, friendly to the investor and and he could get a judgment and then go domesticate that judgment in that state and say, you know what, this guy owes me money. He hasn't paid me and I won in court, blah, blah, blah. And he has a house in the Socialist Republic of California. And even if that house in California is inside an LLC, it doesn't matter. I can foreclose on the shares in the LLC or the corporation, and I can get that asset, okay? Now, as Garrett Sutton explained, and again, I'm not an attorney, I gotta say that, I'm just speaking from my own personal knowledge as a layman. So check this out, you know, uh, reach out to Garrett Sutton or any attorney uh, that knows this field and ask them for details. I'm just giving you the concept. Okay. But if, if I have that property in a Wyoming LLC, as Garrett explained when he was on my show, and he'll probably be speaking at our upcoming Meet the Masters again in, in January, he's spoke at the last two of them, then they can still get that judgment. But until I take the asset out of the LLC, they can't attack it, okay? When it's inside that LLC, it's protected. If it's in California, it's not. If it's in another state that's unfriendly, it's not. Here is another big complication about all this stuff. When you start crossing state lines, it gets very complicated. And this is why you really need to talk to Garrett or another attorney and get this straightened out. If you, if you even go down this path, because it's a, it's a fairly complicated path. Okay. What happens is, say you have the Wyoming LLC, but the, you know, Wyoming is not a place we necessarily recommend to buy properties, right? There's, we haven't found like good investments there. So you might buy properties in Tennessee or in Florida or Indiana, Indiana and, uh, or wherever we recommend. And then you have those properties owned by your Wyoming LLC, well, then you have to register most of the time. I, I don't think you have to do it in every state, but in most states you do. You have to register it in that state, like it's doing business in that state. And then the question is, what laws apply? The laws of Indiana or Florida or Texas or Tennessee or the laws of Wyoming? And these become murky, complicated issues, okay? Now, note that I've only talked about the internal threat so far. Now, let's talk about the external threat, okay? So the external threat is, here I am doing my podcast, and I explain the, you know, the guy in Kansas City, and, you know, he, he could sue me and get a judgment, and so on and so forth, right? Or the uh, property tax lien company in um, uh, Georgia or South Carolina or wherever the heck they're based, because it's complicated. They've played the game, right? Just like we're talking about, right? And so I don't even know where they really exist, to tell you the truth, okay? But the external threat is, you know, you're driving your car, you get in an accident, the insurance doesn't cover all of the damages, or you say something on your podcast, or you run a business, or you're a doctor, and you have a a high liability business, or whatever, right? That's the external threat. So, The external and the internal threat are different threats. And with the internal threat, the tenant suing you, for example, they can still get that asset from the inside, okay? And the best way to protect the asset from the inside is to either have that asset you know, owned through a bunch of structures or just have good insurance. Good insurance is the best asset protection, if you ask me. The other one is a high loan balance. So leverage the assets. So there's not much equity in the asset to get. The external threat is a different set of circumstances. Okay. So again, this stuff is complicated. It's most people just massively oversimplify it. They go to one of these these disgusting, in my opinion, uh, mills that'll just sell you a bunch of entities and they don't really consider what you're doing. You know, you need someone to thoughtfully consider this stuff with you. okay? and the other thing is, once you set up all these entities, then you got to start keeping everything separate. And there's like governance things that you have to do and follow some formalities and, and, you know, you got to maintain them and it'll cost you money every year to maintain them. You know, it it all can be done, but I'm just saying you got to really think it through. Okay. Okay. So 
How's that for an answer? I know I didn't answer it, but did I confuse you? (laughs) It's a start. It's a start. (laughs) Yeah, it's a it's a start to the road down confusion and complexity. So there you go. And then the other problem is if you put your properties inside of LLCs, it's going to be harder to refinance them later. Okay, so that's a whole nother ball of wax. It's also harder to insure them because the insurance becomes a little more complicated, too. Okay. Okay. So that's that one. Your tax. Let's let's take your tax question, Clay. Okay. (laughs) So tax question. So if you really want to learn about taxation, there are certainly many courses out there that you can buy and things like that. And I don't have one to recommend, unfortunately. But H&R Block teaches courses. And I was going to take one several years ago just because I wanted to improve my own knowledge. But the problem is they're not focused and they're not targeted. They're mostly just how to fill out the forms. Okay. They basically teach you how to become an enrolled agent, basically. Right. And so they have courses. But one of the best ways I think you can learn about this stuff is to simply buy a software like uh, TurboTax or, you know, there's many others out there too. Right. And you can buy one of those softwares and try doing your own tax return. I'm not saying that's the return you'll want to turn into the IRS, but just by going through the exercise of using the software, you're going to learn some stuff. I have not done this, but I think it could be a good education. The other thing you can do is you can just listen to my podcast. And if you haven't listened to some of the interviews I've done with tax experts over the years, go to jasonhartman.com and use the search engine there and find those interviews and just listen to them and they will help you. And you can reach out to those professionals and um, uh, talk to them and ask them questions. I will tell you one that I did not have a very good experience with is Kohler. Okay. So I had them do my taxes one year and I did not like the experience at all. I found uh, his law firm to be a little bit better than that, but, you know, had some issues there as well. But tax-wise, I didn't like my experience, okay? I hope he doesn't sue me for saying that. You see how my business is? External threat, okay? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I mean, I like him. He's a nice guy and all, but I just did not like the experience using his tax firm. We've interviewed some others on the show that, you know, uh, I'd recommend had some good experiences with. If nothing else, you can learn some things from them. Okay. And just learn some things by listening to that interview. Does that help? Does it make sense? Yes. Yeah, no, it does. It does. Okay, good. Good stuff. Well, Clay Slocum, our client, thank you for bringing some of these issues up, sharing some of your research. I appreciate it. The power of compounding, very important. Don't, uh, like, like Robert Allen says, the old saying, don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and then wait. And I just want to wish all of you happy investing uh, to you, Clay, and to all of our listeners. And thanks so much for coming on and sharing your story today. Thanks, Jason. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, HartmanMedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own. And if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.